Hey, Fletch, a podcast that will equip, coach, and lead those who lead and manage the church. Dr. David Fletcher, also known as Fletch, passion is to hone church leaders in executive roles. Fletch is a pastor for 35 years and loves the local church. He runs spastor.org and receives hundreds of thousands of visits each year and is also featured on Christianity Today's website, managingyourchurch.com. From around the globe, people tune in on Fletch's warm and sound advice. He's a friend and church doctor, bringing an objective perspective, broad knowledge, and vast experience. Listen in to this podcast as Fletch sets to answer questions submitted by you and asked by me, Tim Samuel. Hey, Fletch. I heard that if a donor designates a gift made to our church, we cannot provide the donor with the receipt under the theory that the designated gifts are not tax deductible. This does not seem correct. Help. Well, Tim, this is one in a series of donor designated questions that we've collected and that I answer in the Hey Fletch column over about eight or 10 weeks. But they're actually above my pay grade. I could answer them, but I really want to go straight to the top. So I consulted with my friend Dan Busby, president of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. And I wanted him to respond to this and hear his thoughts. So Dan says, there are many types of designations, which are called restrictions, donors may place on gifts. However, in general, donors can designate gifts to your church and the church can legitimately provide charitable gift acknowledgements for the gifts. Very basic designated or restricted gifts might include the following, the missions fund, the building fund, debt retirement fund, staff Christmas gift fund, with the church board or appropriate committee deciding how to distribute the Christmas gifts to staff. Now, side note, these are taxable payments and so it's reportable as income on Form W-2. There are scholarship funds with the church board or appropriate committee deciding which students qualify under church policies to receive a college scholarship. There's the benevolence fund with the church board, again, or appropriate committee deciding which benevolent recipients may qualify under church policies to receive assistance. More detailed issues relating to designated gifts will be covered in later posts. We've already done two of those, and we're going to hear from more in the future. To learn more about designated or restricted gifts, you can get free access to more resources at churchexcel.org or by getting a copy of the Guide to Charitable Giving for Churches and Ministries or the smaller booklet, Charitable Giving Guide for Giver Restricted Gifts. All of those are a mouthful. It's wonderfully complicated. Sort it out in your church. Don't wait until somebody takes you to court or somebody gets really mad in your congregation and accuses you of stealing or misusing their funds. That's called malfeasance. There we go, Tim. Good stuff. Thanks for tuning in. You got a question for Fletch? Go to expasser.org. On the top of the page, hit the button Contact Fletch. He'll be sure to give you a response. And hey, your question might end up on the next podcast. Hey, Fletch, what are our obligations in handling donor designations? These come either verbally during your church service 
on our website or by text. They can also be formally given in writing by the donor to the church on the memo line of a check or in a letter. Tim, I wish that this was an easy question to answer. Matter of fact, this is one in a series of about eight questions on donor designations that I've gotten. And they're floating out there and it's really complicated dealing with what are essentially inter, excuse me, externally restricted gifts to churches. So what I've done is I've asked my friend Dan Busby, who's the president of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, to give his thoughts on this issue. So let me quote what, what Dan has written for us. And it's a little different for me to do this, but this is such a technical area that I wanted to go to the very best to get this kind of information. Here's what Dan says. There are both moral and legal obligations surrounding these gifts. The moral implications are more obvious, following through on our commitments. If the church requests gifts for a certain purpose, the church is morally bound to spend the money for the identified purpose. Concerning the legal implication, courts have repeatedly, and we need to underscore that, repeatedly enforced designated gifts, i.e. giver-restricted gifts, even when it involves a church. This is true as whether, whether a gift was designated in the memo line of a check, in a separate note that accompanied the gift. Most churches don't think about that, but that separate note is still a donor designation, or even based on a conversation with the church leader about a need which is closely followed up with a corresponding contribution. So Dan defines what is a designated gift. First, the formal term is restricted gift. A restricted gift is one that has time or purpose limitations on it that are narrower than the exempt purposes of the church. For example, a church that received a gift to, quote, share the love of Christ within the community around the world generally has no restriction because it matches the exempt purposes of most churches. However, a gift that is restricted for a building fund or debt retirement is restricted because those gift purposes are narrower than the church's exempt purpose. So a church should carefully consider in advance what designated, that is restricted funds, it will accept and then formalize that list as a part of the church's gift acceptance policy. ECFA has a sample gift acceptance policy for the Hay Fletch readers and listeners, and that can be found online in this column. I won't read off the URL. More detailed issues relating to designated gifts, uh, we're gonna cover in some later posts on this topic. To learn more about designated gifts, you can get a free access from our friends at uh, ECFA at churchexcel.org or by getting a copy of the Guide to Charitable Giving for Churches and Ministries or in the smaller booklet, Charitable Giving Guide for Giver Restricted Gifts. Now, Tim, you're a CPA. Does all that make sense to you? Yep, it does. It's so clear as mud. Yeah, it's Finances 101, and the church thinks they can get around it until they get sued because, you know, they collected like $32,000 for the new pipe organ, and they needed 52, so they decided not to do it. Then they decided, the board decided, it's our money, so we're going to apply that money from the organ fund into the renovation of the current organ. And the donor says, no, I don't think so. And the best way I encourage people is making sure your donor tracking system and your accounting system are the same. And if you have a way in both systems to earmark any memo and then earmark it in the same um, 
same soft accounting software, it's easier to advise the board or people to say, hey, this was Oregon Fund, note the name. Um, even if we make another decision, either we have to return it or use it on any type of organ, but it has to be used on an organ. So I've found a lot of success when I've coached people to say, hey, make sure those two are aligned. You might have the great intentions, but it gets lost in the accounting. And how about Dan's comment that if a donor tells you on Sunday he'd like this money to go for the new pipe organ and you get the check uh, that week, well, by receiving the check, you know, and if it went through your hands, you know of that designation, that desire for this. You really need to contact them and make sure, is that what you really meant or what did you mean? And yeah, I think that's why I really like about Dan's article. He got into the ethical part of it because technically – it was an unmarked check, but actually it wasn't because the donor had a conversation with you and it was intended for something. And so rather than going through some ugly mess later on, it's better to seek clarification ahead of time. Because you don't know if that donor has a nice little pocket journal and they said, you know, talk to Tim and David about this, let's make it really nice, $600,000 check. And they agreed it would go for this purpose, sent the check the next day. And then four months later, well, I didn't know it was really for that. No, I'm sorry, Dan's saying that's not gonna hold up in a court of law. And that won't, so do your best. If you do have that conversation, again, email your two teams that have received donations and writes the donations. Say, hey, I had a conversation about this donor, any money, just let me know if it comes in. And then you mark it from there. So communication is critical when receiving restricted our funds. Spoken like a good CFO, Tim. From around the globe, you tuned in on Fletch's warm and sound advice. He's a friend and church doctor, bringing an objective perspective, broad knowledge, and vast experience. Hey, don't forget, submit your question on expastor.org. Your question will get a personal reply from Fletch. So email us a question by visiting expastor.org.